I have a simple thought tonight from a simple text out of John chapter number 3. I want you to turn there with me this evening. We'll but read four or five verses, but please keep your Bible open. Um, Even last night, to be honest, probably just minutes before I came to the pulpit last night, I felt very confident that the Holy Ghost spoke to my heart, not about last night's message, but about tonight's message. Now, some of you men will understand that. Sometimes we're sitting there on the pew patting our foot because we're not quite certain about what God has for us. I heard somebody say the other day, and uh, I'll just say this because Brother Dent's there and some of you other men's got a little bit of years in the ministry. I heard some crackpot the other day said that if you've, ne- if you've ever had God change your message in the song service or made up your mind about what you was going to preach once you got to the church house, that you hadn't been listening to God in the first place. <laughs> I appreciate that. That helped me. Man, that's about nonsense. Amen. That's about nonsense. There's been a many a time that I was, if, if, I would have been willing to put my life on the line that I knew what God had and had studied something out and I'm sitting there 15 minutes before the singing, um, before I mount the pulpit and the Holy Ghost brings something to mind, I say to the Lord, I don't even have that sermon outline with me. And he said, I didn't ask you if you had the outline. I told you what to preach. Amen. But last night I felt like the Holy Ghost nudged my heart about this thought for tonight's message. I just want to share my heart with you and what the Lord's placed on my heart. And then we'll be done tonight and uh, uh, in these days of services. John chapter number 3. I'll pick up our reading in verse number 1. We're just going to read down about seven verses of Scripture here in John chapter number 3. The Bible said there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, he must be born again. Amen. I want to finish reading there in verse number 7. But we're going to talk about more verses in John chapter number three. I'm always, I'm always, uh, I guess, intrigued a little bit uh, when you start thinking about or talking about John chapter number three. It stirs up some odd emotions in those of us that have been around the house of God and around the things of God and involved in the ministry. Amen. I don't know, and I'm just being transparent tonight, but there is a little bit of us in the ministry when the Lord impresses us to preach out of something like John 3.16. Why, everybody knows that verse. Everybody quotes that verse. That's the verse we often learn maybe first when we are children in a Sunday school class or a Bible school program somewhere. And when the Holy Ghost touches my heart, if I'm not careful... Brother Dean, I start questioning, Lord, are you sure? They've heard that before. That's a simple text, amen. There won't be anything fresh or new out of that revelation. But but yet, isn't it wonderful that we can still shout and rejoice about John 3.16? Then I've sat on the other side of the pulpit, and I've listened to the fella get up in the pulpit and announce his text, and he's going to read a verse out of John 3.16, and if I don't check myself, I'll say, now that's an elementary thought, amen. He could have done a little bit better than that, and I asked myself the question, Brother Jamie, could he? <laughs> I'm not sure he could have, amen. And I believe that perhaps we make an, uh, we make an assumption. Uh, I wish I'd have wrote the statistics down. I 
came across a little article the other day. I need to look it back up, and I think I'm going to develop it in a mission thought. But uh, this article talked about John 3.16, not the context of the verse, but the reality of the verse. And it related a certain time when Tim Tebow was playing football at the NFL level, professional level, and he took that in the black that they put under their eyes, I don't know what you call that, and uh, and uh, he inscribed in the black of his eyes John 3.16. And, uh, and, and then the article went on to say that on that day, during that game, that there was hundreds of thousands of hits on Google trying to look up what is John 3.16. That ought to bother us. Amen. You know, we sit here, and I, this isn't the context of the message, so just stay with me about 30 more seconds. But we sit here on the pews and question the preacher because he decides he's going to preach or believes God wants him to preach out of John chapter number 3. As the preacher, we question ourselves. And are we really hearing what God has for us when he asks us to preach out of John 3.16? But in reality, there's a world tonight that neither knows nor understands. Uh, they do not comprehend uh, and they cannot grasp because they have never entered into uh, the truths of God. So loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Amen. And I just thank, praise God, for the simplicity of the gospel message. Thank God. For the simplicity of the love of God that's manifested not when we're right, not when we're good, not when we've done better, not when we've changed anything, but He just loved us as we were, but He loved us enough as we were not to leave us in the way that He found us. Thank God for His love. Amen. Well, I I read these first seven verses tonight. And we are introduced in this passage of Scripture to a Bible character. His name, uh, bless his heart. We say that in the South, you know. You can say about anything you want to say about somebody. And if you add the words, bless your heart, in America's Georgia, it's all right. Say amen. Don't leave me out on that limb like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Amen. She looks like she's putting on a little bit of weight. Bless her heart. Amen. He looks like death warmed over. Bless her heart. He looks like he's been in a fight. Bless his heart. Joe sure didn't look good Sunday. Bless his heart. And suddenly we are excused from our bad manners. Somebody say amen right there. And uh, I said that when I said his name uh, is Nicodemus. Bless his heart. Because who in their right mind named their kid Nicodemus? Amen. How'd you like to be called Nicodemus? Hey, man, I'm telling you, my daddy thought Henry was rough and wouldn't name me Henry because he thought Henry was rough. But at least he wasn't called Nicodemus. Hey, man. And the Bible introduces us to a character whose name is Nicodemus. And I, I'll be honest with you, I'm just going to call him Nick tonight. Hey, man. I'm just going to call him Nick. I want to talk about this character in the Bible. Now, here we are. I want you to get the story. There's, what, 50 of us here tonight, I guess, maybe 60. I don't know. Good crowd for Wednesday night. And uh, and uh, we are about 2,000 years removed uh, from the story that I read to you out of John chapter number 3. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a storyline. Uh, it's not something somebody made up. But there really was... Uh, a man named Nicodemus. Amen. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we're talking about that man. Tonight's message is about Nick, or we might say Nicodemus. Amen. And yet, can I say to you, if you go and do a search for the library, I do not believe you'll ever find a book that he wrote. Uh, it, it, it even might astonish you to learn that he did not write a chapter or a book in our Bible in the canon of Scripture. I've never even read, Brother Dent, where there was some uh, secondary manuscript. 
Now, I'm not, I'm not adding to the Bible, but there are historical books that came out of the days of Christ that gives us insight into some of the things that were transpired. But nobody at any place at any time has ever said, I believe Nicodemus wrote a book or that he done something that we might say, Brother Eric was great in this life, but yet here we are 2,000 years removed and we're still talking about Nicodemus. Amen. We're still conversing about Nicodemus. Now here's a little more information. There's 32,000 plus verses in our King James Bible. How exciting. Amen. There's 66 books. Do you know how many of those books talk about Nicodemus? Just one. Amen. Do you know how many verses out of those uh, 32,000 verses talk about the character that I'm preaching about tonight? This man by the name of Nicodemus, if we count 21 in this text, then you would find that he's mentioned three times in the Gospel of John. He's mentioned here in the third chapter. He's mentioned once in the seventh chapter. And he's mentioned lastly in the 19th chapter. There's about three verses between those other two references. So what do we have? 24, maybe 25 verses out of 32,000 verses that mention Nick. And yet he's the subject of our sermon. And to be honest about it, there might be an exception at the Lighthouse Baptist Church tonight. But I suspect that if I were to quiz you, most of you at least would say, I've heard about him. I know something about him. Amen. They don't always associate him with John 3.16. Although we wouldn't have John 3.16 if Jesus hadn't spoken to Nicodemus. Amen. And here we are 2,000 years later. What is it about this character that causes us to be talking about him? Well, I think the Bible clarifies that. Because in every other place that John 3... In John 3, there's the story of him coming to Christ. But in John 7, and again in John 19, you'll find that he is referred to as the man that came to Jesus by night. You know what made a difference in the life of Nicodemus? It's not the fact that he wrote a book or that he performed a miracle or that he, it had some hand in the canon of Scripture, or that he played some phenomenal role in the, her early history of the church. Uh, do you know what makes him stand out from everybody else? Uh, he came to Jesus. Uh, most important thing in his life uh, was when he came to Jesus. Uh, may I say to you, when everything's said and done in your life, when everything has been wrapped up, finished, signed, sealed, and delivered, the only thing that's really going to make a difference is whether you come to Jesus or not. Amen. The coming of Him to Christ. Next, coming to Jesus has made all the difference in the world. Amen. And so let's consider some things about the coming of Nicodemus or as Nicodemus comes to Christ. Number one. Don't you notice with me the timing of his coming? The Bible said in verse number 1 that we're introduced to Nick. He's a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jews. But then notice chapter 1 or chapter 3 verse 2. The Bible simply said the same came to Jesus by night. And I've already told you that same truth is magnified in the 7th chapter and the 19th chapter of John's Gospel. There's something important about his timing. Amen. There's something critical about his timing. He came to Jesus by night. Now, you and I live in a 24-hour society. Amen. At least twice this week after service, since we've been here twice, we have gone back into town and had to go to the store. Amen. I know none of y'all ever done that. Forgive us or our indiscretions. But, but, but we could do that. Why? Because there's stores in your town that are open 24 hours a day. Amen. Why, you've not lived much until you've been to Walmart three o'clock in the morning. 
You'll see things you didn't know existed. Amen. And you'll get a fashion show of the latest styles of pajamas. That's a guarantee. Amen. Now, just come on out. So we live in a 24-hour world. We live in a world where the, the lights are burning, where the cars have headlights, where businesses seemingly are always open. Electricity makes everything convenient. But I would remind you that at the time of this text... Uh, that things didn't happen that way. That they lived in a sun-up to sundown world. Amen. Now, some of you have been to our camp, and, and, and you know that we are late-nighters. We don't have to get out of church till 11 o'clock, and then we're going to eat hamburgers and french fries. And so a lot of times it's 12.30 or so before we ever get the lights out officially, and that means it's not out. Somebody say amen right there. And so we understand all that. Amen. I did a camp in Honduras uh, three or four years ago. Melissa uh, went down, was invited to come down and speak at a girls' camp, and I ended up preaching it. She did the teaching, I did the preaching. It's just girls. Uh, these girls came from the islands of the Miskito Indians, and they have no electricity. Now, we did. We run on a generator at the missionaries' compound, but they didn't know what electricity. They, they didn't live with it. Uh, and so they got up with the sunshine and they went to bed with the sunshine and, 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 and we said that we were gonna allow them and you girls will understand this. We was gonna let them get up at 6.30 in the morning. That was the time we would ring the get up bell and they would have until about 7.30 to get up and get ready. They don't do what American girls do. They don't know what a blow dryer is and they don't understand what makeup is. So, it don't take them quite as long to fashion themselves. Uh, uh, but about 7.30, we was going to come out and have devotion, and then we'd have breakfast. And the whole rule of that was don't get out of your dorm before about 6.30 in the morning. Uh, and uh, I won't ever forget that the first day, we'd have the first night, and the girls got in, and the first morning that they were there, about 5 o'clock in the morning, uh, the young lady, Miss Kayla, that was staying in the dorm with the girls, the missionary's daughter, uh, called her daddy on the cell phone and said, I don't know what to do with them. I can't keep them in the room. Uh, it's 5 o'clock in the morning. Uh, but they got up at 4 o'clock because in that region, about 4.15, 4.30, the sun came up and they was ready to go. They was hopping out. And we, we had to make some adjustments. Well, that's okay. I don't care if they want to get up and get started early. Y'all girls want to get up this year about 4.30? We can arrange that. Amen. Hey, Brother Dent, they have mid, they, y'all, y'all have midweek service on Wednesday night. They have midweek service on Wednesday morning and Friday morning. And they meet for prayer service at 6 a.m. They ring a bell. They don't have clocks anyway. So they ring a bell at 20 minutes after 5. And then they put you up at 6 o'clock and they start singing. And they have about 45 minutes of church before those folks hit the fields or uh, go out to the lobster boats or whatever they're doing for the day. Have about 45 minutes church two mornings a week at 6 a.m. Brother Gene said, I want you to preach one of those services. I said, all right. I didn't even know you could preach at 6 o'clock in the morning. Nevertheless, do it with a translator into the Miskito language. It sounds like throat gutters anyway. Amen. Oh, my soul. So, so, but we, we did all right. We, we, we made note that these girls were getting up at dawn. We'd have our church service at 730. And by the time I got up to preach about 8 o'clock, every one of them sound asleep. Man, there's out. It done been two hours after dark. They didn't know what to do. That's a society that lives from sunup to sundown. Amen. And, and I remind you that it was a difficult thing to go out at night. Now, I'm having to develop that because you don't get it. We don't understand it. We don't comprehend it. But it was a very difficult thing to go out at nighttime. They didn't have flashlights. They didn't have headlamps. Uh, you recall the scriptures talked about thy word being a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And folks don't understand that what that was referring to was the stub of a candle that was inserted in a clay cup and attached to the strap of a leather sandal so they could make one step at a time. Candles were expensive to make. They stank terribly when they burned. Uh, the bandits would be out in the nighttime. The beast would be out in the nighttime. Uh, it was a very dangerous thing uh, 
to travel in the nighttime. And yet, may I say to you, the Bible said uh, that Nick went out at night uh, to have a rendezvous with Jesus. He's going to meet up with the Savior in the nighttime, the timing of his coming. There must have been something that caused him to go out in the night. Let me show you some things. Could I say to you, it may have been, it just may have been, this was the first opportunity that Nick had to get to Jesus. Now, Jesus had made himself known, was passing amongst the people. He had been preaching and teaching and performing miracles. And word, no doubt, had gotten back to Nick about what Jesus was doing. Uh, and so it may have been, he's a busy man. He, he's he got a lot of things to do. The Scriptures tell us in verse number 1, he's a ruler of the Jews. Uh, that he's involved in the affairs of the Jews. Uh, he's no doubt got a lot of appointments. He's got a lot of places to be. He's got a lot of people to see. Amen. Uh, he's just busy, busy, busy. And he takes his first opportunity in his busyness to see the Savior. Well, I'd say that's pretty good advice. Uh, it, you ought not get too busy to come to Jesus. You ought not get too preoccupied uh, to come to Jesus. You ought to come at your first opportunity. Then I thought, secondly, it may have been, and i got to remind you, that amongst the religious ruling class... Uh, that Jesus wasn't particularly popular. Amen. They didn't like him real well. They wanted to kill him. They'd have stoned him. They'd have pushed him off a cliff. They would have raised up an adversary to him. They didn't like him very well. And so it may have been that Nick came at night because he was afraid of his of his comrades. Amen. He was afraid of his companions. He was afraid of what they thought about him. He went out in the nighttime because nobody would recognize him. He could put something over his head and kind of hide in the shadows, Brother Dan. But he had to get to Jesus. And, oh, may I say to you, there's a lot of folk that don't get to Jesus because they're too busy. There's a lot of folks that don't get to Jesus because they're afraid of what somebody else is going to think. They, they, they're afraid. And listen, I'll be honest. I believe in our Baptist churches. We got a generation that's afraid to get to Jesus because they're afraid somebody will say, well, you got saved a years ago. And I thought you was already saved. Honey, I don't care what they think. What I care about is you knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've been saved, saved, saved. Hey, they're afraid of their friends. They're afraid of their boyfriend or what their girlfriend thinks. They're afraid of how their parents are going to react. They're afraid of how their neighbors are going to react. They're afraid of how their co-workers are going to react. Hey, I wouldn't worry about what somebody else thought that would keep me from Jesus. Amen. Let me give you my thoughts on this. It could have been because he is busy and he just now getting to Christ. It could have been because he was afraid of his companions and his comrades and he went out in the night so they wouldn't recognize him or know him. But I really believe with my soul tonight, uh, the reason Nicodemus came at the night hour that he came uh, was because he finally faced his condition. Uh, he, he had a question in his mind he needed an answer to. He knew what it was to lay his head on his pillow and let sleep leave him uh, because he was troubled in his mind about eternity. And he needed to know that he was right with God. He needed to know that if he faced God at that particular moment in time, uh, that he'd be ready to meet God. Oh, what a question. Uh, no, may I say to you, it just dawns on me in my imagination that he goes in at the end of a busy day. The sun is set. He takes a bowl of soup and he has an early supper and and uh, he's weary and he's tired and it's dark outside. And so he retires to his bedroom, places his bedclothes on, gets in the, in the comforts of that bed, pulls the covers up, thinking he's going to find rest and peace, uh, blows the candle out that's resting on the candlestick. And all of a sudden, his eyes are wide awake. Uh, all of a sudden, sleep's nowhere to be found. Uh, but his mind's racing. Uh, and in his mind, he's thinking, what if I die tonight? Uh, 
What if it, what if tonight's tonight I go out into eternity? Am I ready to meet God? Am I ready to face eternity? Am I right with God? Now I believe that's the evident question in the text. And when Nicodemus comes to Jesus in verse number two, he begins to make some salutary addresses. He, he tells him what he thinks about him. But I love verse number three. For verse number three said, Jesus answered. Now the only thing I thought about was I didn't see a question. You see, Jesus knew what his question was before he even asked it. More importantly than that, Brother Stanley, Jesus knew the answer to his question before he ever asked it. Amen? And, and, and oh, you know when you'll come to Jesus? When you face up. Uh, when you admit it's not right. Uh, when you confess you know you're not saved. Amen. Uh, when you get past doubt and confusion and you're just settled on conviction. And you know that if you died in the condition you're in, you're not ready to meet God. You're not prepared to face God. And you cannot be sure that heaven is going to be your eternal home. That's when you come to Christ. Uh, when you face up. When you face your condition. Amen. Number one, I see the timing of His coming. Number two, I see the terms of His coming. Everybody's got their terms. Amen. Everybody has got their terms. And this man comes, by the way, if you come to Christ, you'll come on His terms, not your terms. He's not open for debate, discussion, or negotiation. You're not going to come and you're not going to come and and communicate or coordinate or or jew down God in relationship to eternity. You're going to have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're ready to meet Him because you came on His terms, Amen. But let's talk about Nick's terms, Amen. Number one, we know a little bit about Nick's person. Won't you look in verse one with me quickly? The Bible said there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler. Of the Jews. Now let me lift three or four thoughts. Number one, I found out that he is a religious man. He's a Pharisee. Amen. And we even believe he was part of the Sanhedrin court. He's a Pharisee's Pharisee. If it was religious, he knew it. If he, if it was religious, he was a part of it. If it was religious, he practiced it. I would go as far as to say this. He was extremely ritualistic in his religious practice. He never missed a holy day. He never failed to quote a prayer. He never failed to show up at church or in his case, the synagogue. Amen. He was very religious. The only problem was religion hadn't answered his question. I'm talking about somebody that excelled in religion, that knew everything about religion. Jesus even said, you're a teacher. You're the one that teaches these things. You instruct others. And he said, you don't even know yourself. Amen. For he knew the law, but the law gave him no peace. He knew religion, but religion gave him no answer. May I say to you, there's a lot of religious folks that just need Jesus. Amen. They just need Jesus. So we find in the text he's religious. Then I found in the text he's a ruler. Now that ruling part's a very intriguing thing because as a ruler of the Jews, he has authority. He has power. To a certain degree, I can say he probably had popularity. Amen. When he spoke, men did what he said. When he addressed others, they said, yes, sir. When he did his part, others had to respond accordingly. But all of his popularity didn't bring him peace. All of his power didn't answer his questions. All of his authority didn't let him sleep when he laid his head on his pillow in the nighttime. He needed Jesus. Then there's a third truth. Not only does the Bible indicate that he was religious and that he was a ruler, but I find out he's rich. John Phillips said, just based on his position, he was probably one of the one of the three richest men in Jerusalem. I don't know how wealthy he was, but I suspect he could have about anything he wanted. That money was no object. That if he wanted it, he could have it. And yet having everything that he potentially desire did not give him contentment. It did not satisfy him. So much so that he was willing in the nighttime. Uh, 
and to leave the comforts and the safety of his own home and have a rendezvous with the, with the, with the Jesus of Calvary. Amen. Thank God for Jesus. Let me give you a fourth thought about who he is. He's religious. He's a ruler. He's rich. Those things didn't give him no peace. I'm going to give you a fourth R. He's raging. He's so discontented in his spirit. He finds no peace. He has no satisfaction. He gets no contentment. And he has no rest. He's a raging man. He's a raging man. I wonder tonight if anybody in here is raging. Everything they've tried has failed to give them peace and satisfaction. What you need is Jesus. Amen. Then number two, not only do I see, do I see somebody's person, but the Bible gives us an insight into the perspective that he has of Christ. Amen. You see, he says to us in verse number two, now watch this. He said, I know that thou art a teacher come from God. Notice the direction. He came from God. He even goes a little further and said, No man can do the miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. He said, Not only did you come from God, but God is doing something in you and through you. But he missed the mark. You know what mark he missed? He missed the mark that he's not just from God. He is God. Amen. If he's just a man, he cannot... Change your life. If he's just a man, he cannot bear your sins. If he's just a man, he cannot save your soul. But he's not just a man. He's the God man. Amen. And you gotta believe, you gotta confess, first John 4 15, you gotta confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and that God dwelleth in him, and he in, and then God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Hey, I'm saying to you, there's got to be an understanding. Now listen, we teach about him, he's compassionate, he's kind. He works miracles. He fed 5,000. He opened blinded eyes. We shout about those things. Those are evidences of the greater truth. And the greater truth is He is God in the flesh. And in the flesh He can save you. Amen. Let me show you this text. Now I'm going to deal with it quickly because I know the hour gets away from us. But I want you to go down with me. And and you know the context of the next several verses, and I won't read them right this moment. But he tells Nicodemus, he said, Don't marvel that I said unto you, you've got to be born again. And old Nick said, How can these things be? And he asked him, Because you're a master of Israel and don't know these things. He said, We speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. And Jesus said, "I, I can't tell you heavenly things because you've not received earthly things. Now watch verse 13. Here's what Christ said to him. No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven. Do you see that expression? He came down from heaven. You say, preacher, why are you lingering on that? Because here's how Jesus was an effective soul winner. He majored on what Nicodemus had already said. Because Nicodemus said, I believe you came down from heaven. I believe you came down from God. What did he say? Hey, Nick, not only did I come down from God, but he continues in verse number 13. He said, even the Son of Man, that's dealing with his flesh because that's all Nick knew. He could only see the flesh. He said, even the Son of Man, but wait. The Son of Man which is in heaven. Hmm. That messes up people's theology. Because what he said was, I was in heaven. And I'm the Son of Man. I'm what you see. I'm the flesh you're beholding. But he said, you're the one that said that I was the Son of Man because I came down from heaven. But he's not through. And he goes on to say in verse number 16... That God so loved the world that He gave His only 
begotten Son. Now what did He just do? He took the Son of Man and made Him the Son of God. Amen. And that Son of Man, that is Christ in flesh, the Jesus that we know came in a manger, walked on the shores of Galilee, strode upon the waves, calmed the seas, hungered and thirsted, and fed the thousands in His flesh, was still God. And God became the perfect propitiation, that is, substitute for the sins of all the world. Oh, what a Savior! And He reveals Himself to Nick. You can't just see Him as a good teacher. You can't see Him as a moral man. you got to see Him as the Son of God. you got to see Him as the Son of God who gave Himself and gave His life and shed His blood so that you could have life and have it more abundantly. Amen. So the terms, He came, His perception of Christ was He came from God and He has God working in Him. But God, or excuse me, Christ revealed to him, I am God. And I'm here to do the work of God in saving your soul. Now let me give you a third thought about old Nick. Nick's position is identified. You see, what I say about Nick is he's lost. L-O-S-T. I think I quoted this earlier in the meeting. But Dr. James Jones said the saddest word in our English Bible is the word lost. For it says that without the help and the intervention of God, there is no hope. Amen. Ooh, I once was lost, but now I'm found. When Nick came to Jesus, he was lost. You say, prove it. Verse number 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily I say unto thee, except a man be born again, Nick was not he cannot even, and even's my word, see the kingdom of God. Now that doesn't mean a physical manifestation of the kingdom of God, but it's like us saying, oh, I see what you mean. I understand what you're saying. He said, hey, Nick, you can't even comprehend that there is a life after death. And, the, and, and you study the Old Testament. It gave very little insight into what takes place after death. Now, there's things in there. I'm not saying it's neglecting of it. But it's not full-fledged. It doesn't give us all of the insight. And those Jews, they couldn't see the kingdom. They couldn't see life after this life. They certainly couldn't see themselves as redeemed until they got born again. He said, you got to be born again. got to have a spiritual birth to see and behold and understand spiritual things. Verse number 5, Jesus said, Verily, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I said, Except a man be born of water, that's the natural birth. That's not water baptism, that's the natural birth. And there's not a woman in here that won't confirm the fact that when your baby was born, that baby was born of water. Help me now. They say the water broke. Am I right? When our second son was born, when Spencer was born, my wife went into labor on Sunday afternoon. I went ahead and preached on Sunday night. Don't blame me. She said to. When I'm preaching, she's in three-minute contractions. We got out, drove 45 minutes to the hospital, and uh, and I'm persuaded we're having a baby that night. She's fully persuaded we're not leaving here if I have to tear up three tables in the process until this baby comes and the nurse comes in very, very kindly and says, well, we'll do an examination and we'll see how far along you're progressing. <laughs> and as she started the examination, she said, well, I guess we're having a baby. There goes the water. Hmm? Amen. He said, you've got to have a physical birth, Nick, but you've got to have a spiritual birth. There's got to be a born again place in your life. God help us to understand. He said, Nick, you've got to be born of water. And of the Spirit, there's got to be a holy event that takes place before you can enter into the kingdom of God. Oh, you and I need to get a hold of the fact that you're going to have to have a second birth to get to heaven. Somebody say amen right there. Now let me give you, let me give you my third little thought tonight. We see the, we see the timing of His coming and the terms of His coming, but then there's the triumph of His coming. We're still talking about him because he came. It was a victory because he came. Let me say that Nick learned four lessons that day. 
There's four lessons. There's probably more, but I want to show you four. Number one, Nick learned he had a guilty condition. In verse number one, Nick comes across being a pretty good fella. I mean, if anybody's going to get in, he's going to get in. I don't mean to talk politics. I was trying to avoid it. But it's been all over the news that this lunatic from New York City called Bloomberg. And if you didn't think he's a lunatic before what he said about farmers this week, I ought to tell you he's a lunatic. Hallelujah. Call farmers dumb, stupid, anybody could do that. He wouldn't know the front side. Well, anyway, I'm going to quit right there. But Bloomberg, when questioned about his religion, by the way, let's go ahead and put the fornicator in the White House. Amen. You've got to live in, praise God. And, uh, and, uh, but, but, but Bloomberg said that if anybody had, he had earned a place in heaven. Hmm? Y'all with me? That's what he said. That's what he said. He's worth, what, $65 billion? I mean, he makes our, pres- our current president look like a pauper. He- he's worth $65 billion. And he said, I've done so much for the environment. I've saved so many trees, I guess. I don't know. He's had a, hard, hard, a big hand in murdering a whole lot of babies, but he saved a whole lot of trees, probably a few whales. Amen. And he said, I've earned my place in heaven. I got good news. I got news for you. I got news for him and I got news for you. There ain't a one of us ever done anything to earn right. our place in heaven. But I'm just telling you, I, mean, I, 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 I wouldn't have to look three times at Bloomberg and his past. No, he, he didn't even have a chance. But reading this text, Brother Kidman, I mean, if anybody's got a chance, old Nick's got it. I mean, his resume's pretty impressive. You probably hire him, Brother David. He's a ruler of the Jews. He's respected. He's had great success in his theology. Nobody has accused him, never did accuse him of any indiscretions. If anybody's going to get to heaven, he ought to be on his way. He thinks the same thing. Because the Old Testament theology is a doctrine of works. He thinks the same thing, Brother David. The only problem is that when he comes to Jesus, because there's no peace in what he thinks. But Jesus points out something's missing. He said, hey, Nick, you can't see it. That word see means to comprehend or get a hold of it because you had not been born again. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. And he said, oh, by the way, you've had the first birth. You've had the natural birth. That's what Nick was hung up on. How can I enter the second time into my mother's womb? He said, you don't need another first birth. You don't need another water birth. Tell the church of Christ folk that. But he said, what you need is a spiritual birth. You need the Spirit of God to take what was dead and make it alive. What he said, Brother Denny, is there's something missing. You're about to need the fare to pay the fareman. You're about to need the fare to pay the fareman, and you don't have the fare. There's something missing in your life. All your good's not enough. All your religion's not enough. All your rituals is not enough. I got to tell you something, folks. I got to tell you to the crowd I'm preaching to in Lighthouse Baptist Church now. If Nick couldn't make it on what he had, me and you's in a mess. That's right. Come on. That's right, preacher. We're in a mess. What in the world do we think we're hanging on to if it's not Christ? He learned he had a guilty condition. Nick, something's missing. You're going to have to be born again. It really got pretty personal because what he said, Brother John, was you're not good enough. You was born wrong. That insulted a Jew to start with. But we're God's chosen people. He said, that ain't going to get you to heaven. That's right. We've been followers of Jehovah. That's not going to get you to heaven. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse number 1, you believe in God. That was an acknowledgement. But if he said, if you're going to have eternal life, you have to believe also in me. Believing in God ain't never saved nobody. Amen. But believing in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, as the Savior will. Right? And he looks at Nick and he said, Nick, what you got won't get it. What you've done's not enough. In fact, that whole first verse all messed up. You've got a first birth, but you're going to have to be born again. You're going to have to have a spiritual birth. You're going to have to have something from God. He was guilty. His sins made him guilty. Now it's going to get worse. The second lesson old Nick learned that night was, buddy, you're going to die. Uh-oh. That's right. Got that right. 
Nick, you're going to die. You said, preacher, in this text, oh yeah. Jesus talks down through there and he comes across this little story and he said, Nick, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Oh, now, if we go down here on the streets of America tonight and set up a booth in front of Walmart and say, do you know the story about Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness? They will look at you like you have fallen off of the turnip truck and bumped your head. They ain't got no clue. I'll be honest, 90% of our Baptist Sunday schools wouldn't have a clue. But Brother David, that ruler of the Jews did. He knew what that was. What is it? Numbers 32, I think. He knew what that story was about. And God had already pointed out to him, you don't have what it's going to take. But you're still going to die. You're not right with God, but you're still going to die. You're not prepared for eternity, but you're going to die. And you know the story. The Bible talked about the children of Israel rebelled against God. They wouldn't receive what God told them. They disobeyed God. What did God do? He said he sent fiery serpents among them. When they bit, they were venomous, and they died without remedy. There was no remedy. They cried out for mercy, and Moses asked God, and God said, tell you what you do. Go get a brazen serpent put it on a pole. Put it in the middle of the camp. And if they can get to that serpent and look upon that serpent, that meant they had to believe what God said. <laughs> they could live. Moses, I'm excuse me, Nicodemus, you're guilty, and you're going to die. You've rebelled against God. You've not accepted his son. You're going to die! And you're going to face eternity. Number three, here's the third lesson Nick learned that night. He said, there was, there was God's compassion. Amen. Now, isn't it something? I've preached this entire message, probably preached too long, Brother Stan, and I hadn't got around to John 3.16 hardly yet. But what a lesson. Yeah. Old Nick standing there and he said, I don't have what it's going to take. I'm not going to be right with God. My first birth wasn't enough. Being a Jew is not enough. Being religious is not enough. Being a ruler is not enough. Having money is not enough. And then on top of that, he says, I'm guilty. I'm going to die. So I'm going to face God and I'm not ready to face God. What in the world am I going to do? And about that time, said Jesus said, look up here, Nick. Look up here, son. I've done took care of that. Amen. I got good news. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the way, Nick. I am the door, Nick. I am the answer, Nick. God sent me. Now, don't get nervous about the fact. The work of Christ's redemption was accomplished, but it was believed in before it was ever accomplished. Amen. Oh, don't get nervous about that. When he left heaven, it was already accomplished in the mind of God. That's why he could save sinners along the pathway. Hallelujah. Is imputed. That's exactly right. He stood as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Amen. Hey, Nick. God loves you. He knew your short call. He knew you didn't have what it took. He knew you didn't have the answer. He knew you was guilty. He knew you was going to die. And he sent me. <laughs> because he's already linked himself in that previous verse. He said he sent me, the Son of God. And if you'll just believe on the Son of God, if you'll just believe on me, you can be saved. It will be appropriated what I've done on your behalf. There's God's compassion. His love is great because it's it, it, it's measured in its greatness because of its gift. The, the God of heaven gave His Son. It's measured in its greatness because of the intensity of His suffering. The Son gave His life. And it's measured in its greatness because of the undeserving objects of His love. <laughs> he loves sinners. Undeserving, rebellious, rejecting sinners. He loved us. There's a guilty condition, a grave condemnation, God's great compassion, or God's compassion. Let me close with this. There's a great choice. Ultimately, Nick had to make a decision. God so loved the world, that's verse number 16. You still got your Bibles. That he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world 
through him might be saved. Now you got to see it. He said, I'm the son of man that became, I'm the son of God and the son of man. And he said, because of that, I came to save. You've got to believe I'd save. Now look at verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Salvation ultimately is a choice. I know where I'm at and I think y'all know me. I don't believe nobody gets saved that good Holy Ghost conviction. I'm going to tell you something. God, in the matter of conviction, does not work the same way in every life. Some, it's like a tornado. And others, it's like a gentle breeze. You won't ever get to Christ unless he draws you. You won't ever know you're lost unless he shows you. You won't ever understand the glories that can come by knowing and having a relationship with Christ unless he reveals that to you. My speak, my preach, my Bible quoting would be like empty pages and vain sounds. I get that. But I do want to say it this way, if I can. With all due respect to the work of the Holy Ghost and conviction, Brother Dean. God's done his part. Amen. 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 If you're waiting on God to do something else, you've waited too long. God's done his part. How you know? He said it's finished. That redemptive plan's been paid in full. Now, he does send a preacher. He does cause the saints to pray. And he does draw us. And I understand that. But really, the ball's in your part. It's in your court. What you going to do with Jesus? Nick, you came to me. Now what you going to do with me? Now that you know who I am, now that you know what I can do, now that you know what I've done for you, what you going to do with me? There is a choice. Choose Christ and live. Fail to choose Christ. You notice I didn't say reject him. I just said fail to choose him and die. Choose Christ and be right for eternity. Think you're not going to make a choice at all and die unprepared and spend eternity in hell. It is a choice. Hey, Nick, where are you going tonight? I can't wait till tomorrow. Tomorrow's too late. i got to have the answer tonight. Hey, Nick! You came to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now what are you going to do with him? Amen. Receive the Savior. Yes. Let's stand Amen. our feet. Amen. Altars are open. I know, I know. That's probably not your classic last night of revival sermon. Yeah, you're running well, Don. I could have grabbed the Christian flag and pepped up the troops. That'd been wonderful, and I, I like doing that. But the Holy Ghost knew who'd be here tonight. And man, if you'd have saw Nick in the middle of town, you'd have thought, if anybody's going to make it, they're going to make it. But he didn't have peace. Everybody in this church may be looking at you tonight and you think, they'd say, that one's got peace. They got it. They've got it all figured out. You know! It's not right in your heart tonight. Christ is revealing himself and saying, what are you going to do with me? Maybe you've been, you know you're lost. You put it off. You're not even pretending to be saved. You're going to put it off too long? Nick couldn't wait till tomorrow. He came at night. Came at night, Brother David finds himself at the piano. He's fixing to sing. Why don't you come? Oh, we'd like to pray with you. We'd like to talk to you. Pastor's standing here. Brother Dent's standing here. Somebody take the Bible and show you how to get saved tonight. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Well, I don't know, preacher, if God's got it for me. I don't know if it's his will. My Bible said that everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on him could be saved. If you can see him tonight, he'll save you. He'll save you tonight if you believe on him. 
Sing when you're ready, Brother D. softly on the piano. Every head's bowed. Nobody's looking around. Several in the altar praying. God knows those matters. Church, you pray. You pray. I mean, right now, you pray. I don't do this every service, but I feel like the Holy Ghost nudging me hard tonight. I I just want to ask a question. Now, look, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. By lifting your hand, let me know that you, you're not ready to meet God tonight. That there's not a peace in your heart. That there's an unsettledness about eternity for you. Raising your hand won't save you. I know that. But I'd like to I'd like to mention you in prayer. I'd like to do that. I wonder, while these are in the altar tonight, and the piano plays softly, I just wonder tonight. Would there be one amongst us, young or old, it doesn't make any difference? And you'd like to slip your hand up and say, Brother Moore, don't come to me and please don't embarrass me. And I promise, I promise I won't do that. But I, I want you to pray for him because I'm kind of like old Nick. It's just not settled in my soul. I'm not ready to meet God. Just pray for him. Would you slip your hand up let me see it? I'll acknowledge you. Put it right back down. I promise we didn't come to embarrass you or make light of you. Can't try to help you. Is there one? We're not going to linger in this thing. I, I wouldn't do that. But maybe there's one tonight you just like to slip your hand up and say, Brother Moore, pray for me. I don't want to face God like I am. There's no peace in my heart tonight. It's not settled in eternity for me tonight. Would you slip your hand up? Would you just slip it up real quickly let me see it? There's folks crying in here because they know somebody needs the Lord. Was there one? If not, I'm going to have Brother David sing a little bit more and Brother Burke's coming. Is there not one tonight that slipped that hand up and said, Brother Moore, I'm not ready to meet God. Would you pray for me? I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise I won't. But I sure would like to pray for you. Would you just slip it up and let me see it? 
Man, Nicodemus looked like he had it all together. Can you slip that hand up? Let me see it. Just slip it right up. Now, Father, you saw that maybe there was a hand slip. Maybe somebody just barely slipped it up, couldn't get the courage to put it all the way up. And it was beyond my sight, and I didn't see it. It wouldn't be on yours. But more than that, Lord, you not only saw the hands, but you saw the heart. That's right. Amen. Lord, amongst us, Lord, there's a small child raising that hand. Thank you. Amongst us, somebody else needs the Lord. Lord, I'm persuaded with everything in me that you sent the message, and I did my best to deliver it. And the Holy Ghost is speaking loud and clear and eternal. Father, I pray, Lord, let the Holy Ghost draw them with His tenderness and kindness so they could leave tonight saying, I'm saved, I'm saved, I know I'm saved. Lord, we're all lost. And You came to us. Lord, we're not making fun of nobody. We're not making light of nobody. We want to help somebody tonight. More importantly, I know you want to help them tonight. And I know you can save. Lord, one more verse for them. Lord, I'll ask Brother David to say, but please, Lord, would you touch tonight? Our Lord in pity lingers still. Still waiting. And We tried to cut and raise my hand. Come on anyway. But it's just not real saddle. Come on anyway. Let's get it right. Turning these two long helps too hot. Let's get it right. 